And for those of you who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're looking at three passages today. You'll see why they all tie together. Hopefully it will be obvious, but if not, I'll let you know the secret later. We'll be looking at Genesis 2, Matthew 19, and Ephesians 5. Uh, as you find your way to those passages and, and hold them, I, I must uh, just let you know we're talking this morning on the theme of commitment in particular uh, to uh, married couples or those who are seeking to be married. Last week we focused on singles but had application for a broader range of people this morning. Uh, we're focusing on those who are married, but also uh, we'll have a broader range of application than just that. Uh, but I am pulling uh, a lot of these observations from a series of sermons that Tim Keller did maybe 15, almost 20 years ago uh, that he compiled later into a book that he published called The Meaning of Marriage. So if you're curious to go into more detail into some of these themes, uh, I would encourage you to look there. Our theme this morning uh, is uh, commitments, uh, looking at God's purposes in marriage. We'll be looking first at Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. This is God's word. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And to Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. And the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would abound to us with your kindness and grace, and that you would show us this great mystery, and that we would understand this commitment that you have called your people to, that we would understand your purposes in marriage, how that affects us all, married and unmarried alike, as we understand more of who you are and what you are doing. Lord, give us eyes to see how we might follow after you, growing in Christ for his glory. For we ask it in his name. Amen. 
So, what is marriage for? Why would you get married? It's an important question. Marriage rates are in decline. Why, why did you, if you are married, why did you even get married? Was it for love? Was it for convenience? Was it because of social pressures? What is marriage for? Why does marriage even matter? Why should we even think of it in terms of some important institution? Well, God made marriage. And if for no other reason than that, it is an important institution. But the God who made it doesn't leave us wondering what it's for. He reveals to us his purposes for marriage, for his people. He tells us this in this verse that's repeated in all the passages that we looked at. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we're going to consider this morning four things. There are certainly more than four, but we're going to consider the four primary purposes that God has in marriage. And the first is this, that God has a purpose in marriage that it should be priority. This is something that we ought to to slow down and really consider because in our culture where where a, a radical individualism reigns, our view of marriage has become truncated and and anemic. There was a, a time where I was trying to help a neighbor uh, replace a light switch, and I went to the fuse box and found the right one and uh, clicked the circuit breaker off and went back and got the shock of my life because somebody had mislabeled all of the circuits, which is a lesson for you to check with a meter, no matter what the breaker says. But, but I've never, never been more shocked. And I think. That when we read this word leave, because of the, the radical individualism of our culture, we lose sight of just how shocking this should be. In the, the context of Genesis 2, God says it's not good for man to be alone. He makes this woman, and, and Adam is so excited, and, and, and here's this woman, and they... they They've been commanded by God to to have dominion over the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply, to to have mastery over the birds of the air and of the plants of the field and of the, the animals and everything. They are made in his image and called by God to spread that image across the face of the earth. He plants them in a garden to be sure, but they are to cultivate that garden and see that garden cover everything for the glory of God, so that his image and radiance and glory might shine forth in every place. There are people. And the way God intends for that to happen is through the multiplication and replication of families. We're not all just to stay clumped together in the garden, hiding from the wilderness. For this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother Unites to his wife and the two become one flesh. They form a new family unit. 
And it happens again and again and again until families cover the face of the earth. The the family, in other words, is, is a fundamental, if not the fundamental building block for society. And we could spend all kinds of time talking about the social implications of this, analyzing uh, the effects of the breakdown of the family, of considering what uh, Christians might ought to try to promote. But, but I want to boil it down for what this might mean for you and here and in the now. And it means at least this, that marriage, this this institution in which a a new family unit is formed has power to set the course of your life. God did not create this institution of marriage to be a secondary thought or an add-on consideration. It is fundamental and as such is a, a, a priority for all who enter into it. You can think about it in this way. All too often, we, we, we lift up other things as the biggest priority. I, I, my work is very important and demanding, and I'm helping all sorts of people with all these things that I do, or, or we invest in our kids and, and, and do every, our whole lives revolve around making sure our children have everything that they need and, and want, or, or even church, and we attend every Bible study and every event and do all the things. And here's the thing, though. As important as all of those are, you could be doing the best job at work. You could be the best parent. You could be the most important and and productive member of a church congregation. But if your marriage is falling apart, it has the power to corrupt and tear down everything around you. You get distracted from your work. The tensions filter out into the lives and emotional health of your children. It can even begin to to form divisions, factions, concerns in the church. What God calls Adam to, what Jesus is calling the Pharisees and all of God's people to what, what Paul even in Ephesians 5 is encouraging is that, that when we think about marriage, this idea of leaving to form something new and glorious by God's command and according to, to his ordinance, it, it is not something that is casual. It is a priority. It is a commitment. And we neglect it at our own risk. And I could spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the the sad state of marriage out there. And we could make ourselves feel a little bit better by looking at how uh, marriage is struggling out there in the world. And if they could only get things right and get it together, then they would be happy like us. But, but let judgment begin with the household of faith. Is your marriage the priority for your life? Is it shaping and governing 
the choices you make and how you live and, and the, the, the way you structure even your day or your week. Parents, are, are you raising up children for the purpose of helping them be able to leave well and to be strong and independent with a they don't know, won't know everything, but do they have a firm foundation? Are they healthy financially, emotionally, spiritually? So that whether they leave for marriage or just leave to go out into the world to make their way, that you have, have not made their lives about serving your needs and your interests, but you have made your life about serving theirs. For their good. Helping them to go out and do what you did. Form a new family unit to see God's image spread to yet another part of the world for the glory of Christ. If you're not yet married, but want to be, are you ready for this sort of commitment? No, nobody, none of the marriage books tell you, they, you know, oh, here's who you send the invitations to, and here's all the, the cool styles of the dresses and the tuxedos. They, they don't, they don't, intro, the introduction rarely states, beware, get ready, because what you are stepping into is a commitment that will have the power to, to set the course of your life. Because you are stepping into the life of another and it's no longer just about you. This is important for us to think about just as a church. Because if we recognize anything, that this this high and holy calling, the priority that marriage ought to be, we just have to know and recognize in a world that is tainted and corrupted and broken with sin and misery, the chances of everyone's marriage being hunky-dory and happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time is next to zero. All of you are carrying something, I'm sure. Some burden, some secret, some trial, some difficulty. And are we a place that recognizes that, yes, God has made marriage to be something glorious that ought to be a priority, but in a broken world, we take solace in the fact that God has created yet a new family that transcends all the others and has adopted all of his people into that household of faith so that this place can be a place where grace and mercy and healing in Christ are proclaimed to all who need it. One of God's purposes in marriage is that it should be a priority. The next, the second I would call your attention to is this, that God has made marriage to be covenantal. The thing about a covenant is its objective. 
But we think about marriage too much these days in subjective terms. If I've done one session of premarital counseling, I've done 100. That's the, the risk of being a campus minister for 10 years. And they are all convinced that they are getting married because they love one another. And I can say, maybe to my shame, but in all honesty and truth, that almost 22 years in, I know now that I had no earthly idea then what love really entailed. There's this moment in so many people's lives, sometimes it's like right before the service of marriage, we call it getting cold feet. Sometimes it's three days later or six months later. There's this oh no moment. You just wake up, maybe. You start. It just sinks in all of a sudden like, oh no, I'm married. Nothing's ever going to be the same. I don't get to decide what movies I'm going to rent from Blockbuster. I'm dating myself. I don't get to decide what, you know, what we're going to eat. Like, I, I don't just get to go do whatever I want whenever I want. Like, I have to t- I'm married. That matters objectively, regardless of how I feel about it. That's, that's the thing about a covenant. This language hold fast, some of your translations may say cleave to his wife. It's in the Hebrew, the same language used to talk about covenants. Covenants are these formal, binding agreements. They are a relationship that isn't just governed by how you feel, but governed by promises and commitments. And there will be blessings when those commitments are fulfilled and there will be hardship and even curses when they are neglected or ignored. But God has made marriage to not be something that is governed by how we feel about it at any given moment, but a covenant divinely ordained that is public and a binding institution. What does this mean? It means a lot of things, but at the very least, it means this. That in making and entering into a covenant of marriage, you are committing to share everything. All that you are, all that you have, all that you do with someone else for their good. And so, for those of you who are married, what that looks like is your marriage isn't about you. And if your thoughts and words are occupied with things that are dominated by the themes of, well, she just never, or if he would only, or they just don't get it, or if they only understood, like, if it's all about what they're not getting to make you better, to make you feel better, 
to make you be better, you've missed what a covenant is. You've missed what love is. Love is at its core action devoted to the good of another. It gives It bears burdens, it sacrifices, it exhibits patience and kindness and grace not to get because that's what the other needs. It's for their good, looking for nothing in return. This is how God has treated his people with whom he has made a covenant, a new covenant where he will be our God and we will be his people forever. And he will do everything to make sure that we experience that blessing in Christ. And he does it not because he gets anything out of it from us, but because he is love. Love gives. Parents, is this what you model for your children? Or or do you have sort of a a bargain? Do, do, Do you have this relationship with your spouse that is not a covenant, it is a bargain? I will do for you if you will do for me. Maybe it's, well, let's just get the kids out of the house. Maybe it's, it's easier financially. Maybe it's just easier to stay together and just like go through the motions than it is to go through all the, the pain of splitting up. But, but, but you just, you have a bargain and not a commitment, not a covenant of love in Christ for one another. Because a church, we have to understand that, that we need to do two things when it comes to the the covenant of marriage. We need to to hold up this glorious calling, this glorious institution, this wondrous thing that that, that God has made it to be without any qualification. This is what marriage is. While also recognizing that in a broken sinful and miserable world, covenants can be broken and are broken. What does it look like for us to call covenant breakers to account? What does it look like for us to come alongside those who are hurting, full of grief and sadness because of the pain that they've gone through because they've given and given and just been crushed Underfoot. Look, in a broken world, living in a covenant, it's impossibly hard. Are we a place, are we a community that, that doesn't shortchange the standard, but also abounds with grace and mercy and encouragement to those in need? Marriage is a covenant which is a commitment to share everything we have with another for their good. And what God does in that is he uses marriage to bring unity 
and true union. We are tempted in a world that is all about you getting what you want to think about marriage selfishly. And it becomes a us versus them sort of game. Am I getting out of this what I deserve? Which is why the Pharisees come to Jesus and say something just that sounds crazy, but isn't. Like, but we can divorce our wives for any reason, right? Right? Because like this is hard. This covenant's hard. And so if we don't like the way she cooks, or if we don't like the way she laughs, or if we don't like the way she dresses, or if we don't like the way she talks, or if we don't like the way, like, we can just, like, get rid of her and go find a newer, better model, right? And Jesus doesn't, like, go through all the list of reasons why a divorce could, is or isn't acceptable. He says, don't you know how God made marriage to be? Don't you understand what he's doing in it? He made the male and female And he so made one out of the two. God has has worked something incredible by making those who were once apart one flesh. And this isn't simply an oblique reference to physical intimacy and sex. This is pointing to what Jesus is talking about, that God has brought them and put them together. He is at work uniting them. This is a physical, spiritual, and social union that ultimately requires God's work to be truly fruitful. And if this means anything, it means this. That God made marriage for deep, meaningful companionship. It's not good for us to be alone. And we spoke about this last week. That doesn't mean that everybody is called to marriage. Even in Matthew 19, Jesus goes on to talk about that. In a broken world where sin and misery reign, not everyone is called to that. God made marriage for deep, meaningful companionship. And that unity, that oneness, isn't merely sexual. It isn't merely that you like the same TV shows. It isn't merely that that one person can do the cooking and the other person can do the yard work. This, This oneness is characterized by a mutual journey that the two of you both Go on towards the same destination. The destination matters. If the two of you are in it just to get the kids out of the house and successful, when they're out of the house and successful, oh, how many times as a campus minister did I find out after a child's first semester at college that their parents were splitting? They didn't have another destination. They didn't have another purpose. If, if the, the only reason that you're together is because you, you both like the same board games, I'm telling you, that's awesome. But it's not a good foundation for a marriage. 
All of these things that early on you think bring you together, hobbies, the interests, later on you find out that there are a bazillion more things that would tear you apart. Your own hurts, the baggage that you bring in, the emotional burdens that you didn't even know you had until you had somebody else around you to rub on those things in just the wrong way to make you realize, oh no, I'm more broken than I even knew I was. The destination matters and what Jesus calling the Pharisees and us to recognize is that destination. It has to be the Lord himself. That we are united in him. That God has brought us together And the journey that we are on is a journey of growing in Christ together for the end of living with him together forever. I don't know. Jesus says there's not going to be marriage in heaven. And fine. Glory is going to be more glorious than we can ever imagine. I will be happy if Tracy and I can be roommates. For now. Calling us to grow together in Him. He is the destination. And so there is no ground for you to look upon your spouse in terms of all the ways they are failing you. You need to learn to look on them, the eyes of Christ. Who is Jesus at work making them to be? How has God called you to be a part of that? To be a part of that glorious privilege of reshaping another human being to be more and more like the God in whose image they're made. This is why the New Testament is full of these admonitions to husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives, your own body. Don't be harsh with your wives. Husbands, lift up and honor your wives as co-heirs with Christ. Because if you don't live for them in Christ, what are you living for but yourself? Wives, honor your husbands as is appropriate in the Lord's, submitting to them, respecting them, living for them as is appropriate, not in some menial, subservient way, in this selfless way for the sake of Christ. Because if you don't, what are you living for? Singles, this is why premarital sex is so dangerous. It's not not just because it's like the big bad sin. Don't do it. It's because you you are dipping your toe in what true oneness and union can be in Christ. Without any of the commitment. Without any of the faith to follow Christ where he leads. You're wanting the benefits, the gifts without knowing the giver. 
God made marriage to be a union. Last, God's purpose in marriage is that it would be a witness. I think all too often, all of us look at marriage through too much of an earthly lens. It's easy to do. Like when you're in it, and there's troubles, sometimes that's all you can see are the troubles. And, and it's hard to take a step back and see, like, what is the bigger picture? I remember going to Epcot with the kids many years ago, and you stay late that one night, and, and they do the fireworks show and the laser light show, and you're like, oh, this is what a fireworks display is. Like, whatever I thought a fireworks display was, Whatever, like, we tried to set off in our backyard or even, like, what the city tried to put, like, amateurs, this is a fireworks show. And it has lasers. Now they're doing drones to make, like, different shapes, and it's just incredible. Do you see the mystery of what God is is doing in marriage? Paul says, like, from the beginning, this passage from Genesis wasn't just talking about Adam and Eve. It wasn't just talking about you and me. This mystery is profound. It refers to Christ and the church. That even from the very beginning, marriage was a picture, an illustration of God's intimate, loving commitment to his people. They were his priority. And he committed himself to them to be their God, for them to be his people. And he would give us a a living picture of what that ought to mean. Marriage ought to be a picture of the gospel of grace. And sometimes we get this wrong. And we we think that what that means is my marriage has to be perfect. And so we're going to just smile and put on a good face And let everybody think that we've got it all together. But then we're just proclaiming a legalism. We're proclaiming a Christ who says, when you get your act together, I'll love you the way those two love one another. Or sometimes we're just like, well, God is love, so it doesn't matter what we do. And so so we don't lift marriage up with the, the reverence it deserves. And we just treat it and cast it aside with, with, we treat it with disdain and cast it aside. And, and we then proclaim a Christ whose commitment to his people is dependent on how he's feeling about us at the moment. But what Jesus gives us is a picture. Christ and the church that ought to inform how we treat one another, how we teach about marriage, how we do marriage counseling, how we think about everything. Do you respond to those closest to you with the gentleness and grace and patience and kindness and compassion of Christ. Like, as, as gracious as Jesus is to you, do you take that and manifest that to those around you? 
all too often we're hardest on those closest to us. Why is that? Do your children see this gospel-soaked commitment that that you recognize that you are a sinner and you are going to mistreat your spouse and you are going to fall down and you're going to make mistakes, but that you're constantly, both of you, going back to Christ, seeking forgiveness, forgiving one another, showing in how you cannot be separated by anything that God, who is love, will not let anything separate us from that love in Christ, not even death. Do we as a church live out and announce to a world there's something better? There is a a God who knows our misery and our grief and our pain and our weakness. He meets us in it. There is a God who is able to heal. There is a God who is able to cleanse. There is a God who is able to shape and form us in the way of righteousness. Do your neighbors look at you and say, Look, I know you've got troubles in your marriage, but there is something about what you have we don't have. Are you able to say, to bear witness to Christ, that what we have, we don't have on our own? It's not a technique. It's not something we picked up in a marriage book. It's something that we have solely because Jesus bounds to us with his grace and kindness. It equips us to abound to one another in the same way. Look, what will your marriage be for? What will it be about? Marriage as priority? Marriage as covenant? Marriage as union? Marriage as witness? None of these things are possible in your own strength. None of these things are, are possible apart from a, a true commitment to God's own power and purposes in marriage. Faith in who he is and what he's called you to be. May God work these things in us and renew in us a wonder and a joy what he's made marriage to be. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would abound to us with your kindness and your grace. Help us, Lord, to know Jesus, the Lord who so loved his people that he gave himself, his own life for them. Lord, help us to emulate that same sacrificial love in our relationships with those closest to us. We would live for their good, not our own. We would be willing to, to follow your leading, to live for your purposes, to seek your ends and your glory in our relationships with our spouses and all those closest to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.